Hey Amarillo, I'm Jason Boyette, and you're listening to Hey Amarillo, the interview podcast featuring some of the most interesting people and stories of Amarillo, Texas. Hey Amarillo is sponsored this week by Wick Realty. I've been interviewing my guests on a big sheltered back porch that came with a home Wick helped my family buy in 2018. It's been essential for recording episodes during a pandemic that requires social distancing. So for me, this summer, I've been really grateful for the home that Wick helped me find. Anyway, mortgage rates are incredibly low right now. The real estate market is still really strong in Amarillo. So if you're buying, if you're selling, you're building a home, looking for investment property, even if you're a first-time homeowner, this is a great time to talk to Katie Wick or one of her outstanding agents. That's wickrealty.com, W-I-E-C-K. Today's guest is Bowden Jones, Jr., Bowden is the Chief Consumer Officer for First Bank Southwest. He's a banker. He was recently named an emerging leader in banking by the Texas Bankers Association. He's one of those guys who's involved in countless nonprofits across the city. He's he's always working hard to invest in this community. He helped start the Northside Toy Drive. He's a chairman of the board of directors for Leadership Amarillo and Canyon. Uh, he was named a distinguished alumni for Wayland University. I could spend a lot more of my introduction listing this stuff, but I really just want you to hear from Bowden himself. Before you do, though, one note. We talk about racial justice in this conversation, but it was recorded before the police shooting of Jacob Blake in Wisconsin and uh, before the resulting protests. So keep that in mind. Here's Bowden Jones, Jr. Bowden Jones, Jr., welcome to the Hey Amarillo podcast. Thanks hey, for being morning. on the show. Good morning. Thank you for having me. Glad to be here. Yeah, I'm glad to have you here. So we are out on my back porch like I've been doing these interviews the, the past few months. Uh, we've got a little bit of uh, cicada noise already in yeah, the background. Yeah. I, I'd like to start the way I start with every guest, and it's just asking you how you ended up here in Amarillo. So tell me that story. Why, why are you here? Yeah, yeah. Why am I in Amarillo? So actually... Um, Jason, I was born, I was born in Colorado Springs. Okay. Um, so I, I lived in a military family. My dad was a military guy. And so he and my mother were married and we, when I was born, we were stationed at Fort Carson, um, in Colorado Springs. And so that's where I was born, um, grew up and we, we kind of traveled, you know, different places and did a few different things. Following um, your dad's career, I mean, right, was, following, was he yeah, stationed yeah, in Yeah, you know, he was, yeah, he was in Kansas, he was in Panama, he was in different places that we got a chance to kind of kind of go to. Um, unfortunately, they ended up, you know, divorcing, and so my mom's family is from here, or they're here now. Um, and so when they split up, the kids and her, we all came here. And so I got here to Amarillo, sixth grade, I believe. Okay. Uh, sixth grade is when I got here, and I've been here ever since, so. Tell me about that that kind of lifestyle as a, a military brat, you know, where you're you're living in a lot of different places. I mean, Colorado Springs, very different from Panama, very different from Amarillo. You know, to have that much movement and then to kind of land in a place like Amarillo, like what does that mean for you as a kid? Was that a good thing? Was that a hard thing? Um, you know, as a kid, it you know, I didn't really know much difference, you know, so to speak. I mean, because as kids, you kind of, you know, you're you're a little bit um, innocent, you know, to a degree. Mm-hmm. And so we we didn't really know. I, well, I say we, I, I speak for myself. I didn't really know, you know, much difference between other than, you know, the climate and the humidity and, right. you know, those types of things. You were, li- were you living like on base? Um, yeah. No, we actually, we lived on base for a little while in Colorado, but then we actually lived just, you know, off base. Okay. And so... Um, obviously, the mountains and, and the air and the you know the weather and whatnot is much different than it is here in Amarillo, and and way different than what it is in in Panama. Yeah. I mean, you know, Panama is basically you know two seasons. It's you know it's a wet and rainy wet and season, and then it's a dry and hot season. And so, um, you know that that really is is the difference, or really the extent of the difference that you know really that I could really tell. I mean, other than the water, the water when you got we got to Amarillo, that was something that I always remember, like the. Taste the tap, of the water? The taste of the tap water. If you, you know, I, I guess being in Colorado, you know, I guess mountain water or spring water, whatever it is, compared to tap water in Amarillo. I mean, it, I remember, matter of fact, the first time <laughs> drinking water from the tap here, and I was like, what's wrong with it? Like, what? something, it's not right. Something is wrong with yeah. the water. And so, um, but outside of, you know, those minute things, as as a kid, I mean, it's okay. It's another place. Yeah, the weather's different. 
you know, uh, maybe the accents are a little bit different, but other than that, it wasn't anything that I could tell from that from that point. What was your impression of Amarillo when you arrived here? Sixth grade, it's it's hard to have you're you're not quite fully formed and being able to figure out the world. But like, do you remember what you thought about this area? Um, you know, I thought that it was hot. Um, I remember thinking that, but also I thought this is going to be great because all my family is here. Mm-hmm. So my mom has she comes from a large family. And so we have lots and lots of cousins and relatives, you know, that are here. And so being able to be back in a place where we actually had cousins, because where we were, we didn't have any any actual relatives, you know, other than when we came to visit or whatever. But being here and being with them all day, every day, mm-hmm. all summer long, I mean, I thought that was I thought that was great. And so uh, my first impression was, you know, what, this is going to be really, really, really cool um, just because all my family is here. And so. Um, family's a great thing, and so that was that was kind of the way I looked at it. But where did you uh, go to school? So I went to uh, junior high. I went to middle school at Austin Middle School, um, and then ended up going to Tascosa um, for a couple of years, and then I ended up transferring to Paladura and okay. graduated from Paladura. You know, when you were in high school, you know, a lot of kids who grow up here, um, you know, have this mindset that I'm going to graduate from high school and I'm going to I'm going to get out. Um, you know, it's always the grass is greener kind of mindset. Do you, did you think that way? I mean, were you thinking I'm going to go to college and I'm never coming back or did that family draw kind of influence your decision? No, no, absolutely. I was one of those that was like, I can't wait to get out of here. Um, and it just didn't happen for me. Um, you know, and I, I ended up, you know, going to school here and, and whatnot and working and doing, you know, all the things that I did. And, and just when the opportunities did present themselves, um, it wasn't quite right or mm-hmm. I didn't feel that it was quite right. And so I never really did um, take advantage of any of those. And so I ended up kind of staying. And now, you know, that I've been here as long as I've been here, I've kind of established myself somewhat um, in our community and just in my career. You know, it, it I don't necessarily look to, to go anywhere else. Yeah. I mean, Amarillo is home for me and it has its challenges as, as every place does. Uh, but it is home to me, and I think that it's I think it's a great place to raise a family. Um, you know, it's it, it's not too large, you know, too fast, but it's not, you know, the small, small, small towns. Nothing against small towns, but, you know, it's kind of that happy medium, yeah. you know, type of deal. And so um, we're in a, in a place now where it just it kind of fits for us with where, you know, my family is, my children, where we are. It doesn't make sense for us. To, but but I was one of those that, man, I'm 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 getting out of here as soon as I can get out. Um, and the cars just didn't it just didn't fall that way for me. Did, so you went to school around here? Did you yeah, go to so, WT? So or? actually, when I I didn't I didn't traditionally go um, to college. Traditionally, it was kind of like I didn't want to go to school, and so I just worked and okay. you know did those things. And and then you know after a couple of years, I ended up matriculating and going to AC. And then I actually um, went to Wayland, graduated from Wayland, and and then also you know received my my MBA from Wayland as as well. And so. Um, it was a kind of a non-traditional route, mm-hmm. you know, that I, that I took, uh, I think the thought was I'll just work and live and, and it just takes a couple of jobs to do that. You realize for me, not, not for everybody, but for me, it was kind of like, uh, I probably better, <laughs> I probably better do something different and I better go to school. And if I want to really, you know, be comfortable or more comfortable than what I am. So did you ever give any thought to like following your dad into the military, anything like that? I did. Um, actually my senior year in high school, I had taken all of the necessary tests and all that and done all the necessary application and I just didn't do it. Um, it was kind of right. I want to say it was what operation desert storm or something. I think it was right in that time. Um, and I think that I was just a little, you know, uh, unsure about kind of where I was going to end up. Yeah. And, you know, especially coming out as 18, I'm, I, I think my thought in my 18 year old mind was, man, I'm going to come out of high school and they're going to send me straight to the desert. Yeah. And I don't know that I really want to do that. And so that was kind of the thing that, that kind of, you know, I was like, eh, I, I'm not going to do that. So when did you begin to, Think about banking as a career. I mean, was that something that, that kind of just happened or is that something that was more intentional? Oh, no, it definitely just happened. I tell people all the time that I didn't choose banking. Um, banking chose me. All that right. was that's that's kind of my that's kind of what my motto. That's kind of I mean, what I've said, because that's what I believe actually happened. I never thought about being a banker. 
Um, what did you study at Wayland? In fact, I, I studied business at Wayland, okay. but I was already in banking at that time. Oh, were you really? Yeah, right. so I started as a teller. And and really, that was at at a request or at a suggestion of somebody that was just talking to me, saying, "Hey, you know what? You ought to you ought to you ought to look at being a banker. Um, it's not very diverse, you know. In in banks, you know, you may you may be able to do well there. And I had never never seen never never knew of a banker. Um, I didn't know of any any black bankers uh, at that time." Um, and so it had never even crossed my mind. And so I ended up starting as a teller and and kind of matriculating my way through. And it just kind of stuck on me. And it's, you know, it's it's worked well for me. What bank did you start at? So it was a local bank uh, and it was called First National Bank of Amarillo. Okay. And so it, it probably up, has been renamed multiple and it, times. It was since renamed. Then. It's now it is now uh, Wells Fargo. Okay. And so um, uh, but that that was where I got my start. And 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 that was. 20 years ago. Yeah. yeah. Do you remember a point where you started to think, okay, you know, a a teller is sort of an entry level position. Um, It's very public facing. I mean, Mm -hmm. you're dealing with customers, but it's, it's still kind of lower on that totem pole. Did, do you remember thinking, all right, I'm going to make this a career. I'm going to keep moving up instead of doing this for a while and then trying something Mm -hmm. else. Oh yeah. Um, You know, I think that it is, it is definitely customer facing. And I think once I realized that I kind of had a comfort level, with just customers, with just people. I don't really have an issue with, you know, interacting with people face to face. Um, and in fact, I enjoy it. And I, and it seems like people enjoy interacting with me. Once I, once I got to that point to where I felt like, man, I'm comfortable in doing this. This is not, you know, this comes, you know, pretty easy to me. Um, it was kind of at that point that I realized that, you know what, um, there may be some opportunity here. I mean, I'm, I was still unsure, you know, just because again, you know, banking is a very um, it is a it is a very exclusive, almost. I don't know if that's necessarily the right word, but it's it's some sort of some somewhat sort of an exclusive um, industry. Yeah. Um, and so I was I was always a little unsure. You know, like eh, I'm not sure how that's going to work. But um, you know, I, I I enjoyed it. I was comfortable there. Uh, I was learning things there, uh, and I seemed to be doing well. I was advancing and promoting and different things like that. And so it was at that point I was like, you know what? I'm here. I might as well give it a go, and let's let's see what happens. And it's it's stuck. So so tell me tell me about your job now. What you know where you've ended up at First Bank Southwest. So um, I'm in a role um, where I'm the executive vice president, chief consumer officer, which is really just a title that that really encompasses all of our customer facing. Uh, lines of business. And so I manage a couple of different lines of business that are, that are more geared toward consumer, uh, consumer customer facing. So what might that mean? Like, like retail, retail banking. So, you know, all of the branch banking is, um, is, is, is part of my line of business that ultimately flows up, you know, through me. A lot of our, um, a lot of our consumer lending, all of our consumer lending, um, that line of business, you know, you know, uh, reports up through me. And so, and there's a couple of other different lines of business, you know, internally training, different things like that, that all those report up through me. There's some lines of businesses that I'm, that I deal with basically, and it's really more from a consumer perspective. Okay. Um, you know, a you and I type of perspective. As opposed to a business as getting opposed, a loan. Exactly. Or, yeah. As opposed to a commercial, commercial, uh, business or something like that. You, you haven't been at First Bank Southwest for super long. Like you've worked at, at other banks kind of mm-hmm. in, in mm-hmm. the process. I, I wonder if you could tell me a little bit about the banking community in Amarillo, because I feel like it's really unique in that some of the locally owned banks like are better received in the community than places like Wells Fargo, you oh, know, yeah, which absolutely. have always struggled to get market share here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, community banking is is the lifeblood of communities like Amarillo. Uh, and Amarillo is no no different. In fact, I think Amarillo probably um, excels to a degree. I mean, if you think about it, you, I mean, there, you can go down any of these streets and you could, you could find a ton of community banks. Yeah. You know, it, there's not, uh, there's no shortage of community banks in, in Amarillo. But I think that is just really a product of, you know, Amarillo, the people in Amarillo, our community, how we, how we move, how we act. Um, and banks are, are the lifeblood of that. 
And so from a community banking perspective, it is it the 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 environment is a is a great environment. Um and, Is that something and, and unique banks, to Amarillo? Like compared to, you know, other similarly sized cities. I mean, do we have something special here? I think we have something special in the fact that we have as many banks as we have, not only as many banks as we have, but as many strong banks as mm-hmm. we have. Um and we, we have we have a lot of strong banks here in Amarillo that, you know, some other communities they they probably have, you know, a good strong community bank, but they don't have uh, as many community, I mean, I can I can count on my hand right now three, four, five, six, seven, you know, community banks, um, just right off the top of my head, very very easily. Where most communities our size are going to have community banks, or they all will have community banks, but n- not many of them, if any, have the number of community banks yeah. that we have that are very strong banks. And we saw some of the impact of that with like the PPP loans, you know, where you have a lot of local businesses around here that were able to get in that system, get their loans, you know, through the community banks, whereas people who might have been, you know, banking with Chase or some giant corporate bank, you know, are competing against a million other businesses. Oh, yeah. And, and having those personal relationships here because of this community, like, really helped during absolutely. that Absolutely, yeah. PPP was a big deal. Um, and, and community banks did uh, uh, an outstanding job in, in our community and um, probably in communities across the nation um, in helping um, the, the folks that need it the help most. And the, those are our, the residents of our of our communities. And so um, that is that is really where banks um, don't often get a lot of, you know, especially community banks. They don't often get, you know, often get a lot of credit for um, for the work that they do there. But that that was a huge task, a huge undertaking mm-hmm. that um, many of these community banks, you know, that that really jumped in there and really made sure that their customers were taken care of, that um, typically you're going to go to a large bank, uh, you know, a large nationwide bank like that, and not to say that they can't do it or won't do it, um, but but your chances tend to probably be a little bit better um, working with a community bank and a smaller bank that um, actually knows the community, actually understands yeah. what's going on. In has the community, that built-in personal has relationship? Has that relationship in the community? It's it's so much easier to do it um, from that perspective, and that is where I think community banks have done a, an outstanding job in in making sure that the community continues to kind of move forward and continue to try to you know you know keep things going. I, I wonder if you could tell me a little bit about. Maybe the, the the best way to describe it is the personality of First Bank Southwest. You know, people who don't bank there, maybe they bank at Happy or Amarillo National. You know, they know their bank, but don't have a relationship, you know, with these other local community banks. So, like, tell me what kind of niche it fills in, maybe what its personality is. Like, what what is the role that it plays in this banking community? Yeah, so our role is very similar to every other community bank in this community, and that is to take care of our Take care of our people. Okay. We're going to take care um, of our employees. We're going to take care of our customers. That's that's what our deal. In fact, um, our you know our our motto, kind of the way we we speak, you know, is faith, family, bank. That's that's kind of what we what we live by. That's what we make decisions by. Um, that's kind of how we how we operate within our bank. And so um, our role is is that we recognize that we have. Um, that there's, you know, there's business to be had all across the community and, and you, and you have your preference and that's, that's perfectly fine. Um, but we, what we know is that we have, um, customers that depend on us to help them, that help, you know, to help them make, you know, good decisions, to help, uh, provide resources, to help them continue to do the things that they need to do. Um, and we take that seriously and that we recognize that if, uh, we aren't doing those things, then really there's no reason for us to be, um, for us to be in, in, in this community. And so we, we, we take that really, really seriously. And that's, that's kind of how we approach our day. Um, that's kind of how we approach, you know, banking period within this community. You, you mentioned earlier how one of the, the gateways uh, of you getting into banking as a career was the lack of diversity in banking and, and kind of seeing that as, as a, a potential opening, you know, for somebody like you. And I, I wonder if you could talk about, you know, why that kind of representation is important, you know, in a community like Amarillo, you know, with a bank like like yours, you know, where you're serving everybody in the community. You're not just doing ag stuff. You're not just doing business stuff. Uh, why is it important, you know, to have a diverse workforce and to be able to work within every community? Yeah, I, I think diversity in any workforce is is critical. Um, I think it's important specifically in banking 
um, historically, traditionally has has not been very very diverse, um, and still struggles with you know to be to be honest, it still struggles with diversity. But I think it's important because um, it 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 should reflect the community that you serve. Um, and not even just banks. I think, I think any institution, um, any, any business should reflect the community that you, that you serve. I, I believe that. I believe the school district should do that. I believe, um, any of these large, you know, entities that are part of the community should, should always reflect the community, um, that they serve. And so I think that that's important because, um, you, you, you want people to be able to look at your institution and be able to relate, um, to somebody, you know, at that institution to be mm-hmm. able to feel comfortable and be like, oh, okay, great. I, I see that maybe there's some opportunity, you know, to do to do something there. But but I think even more than that, I think that if if a company, if a business, if an institution is going to maximize its potential, I think they have to be diverse. I personally, um, this is just my own personal opinion. I don't believe that you can maximize your potential um, if you lack diversity. Period. Right. Um, I think that if you if you if you lack if it's a monolith across the board, I don't think you're going to maximize your potential. There's. You know, there's a history in the United States of, you know, the, the black communities, the Hispanic communities of being underbanked, you know, don't always have the relationship um, with with traditional banking, don't always have an access to resources, maybe if they're opening businesses and stuff like that. Um, is, is that something that you and uh, First Bank Southwest have, have kind of worked um, to improve in this area, you know, in in being consumer facing and, and on the retail banking side, you know, to continue to get out in front of some of the underbanked communities. Mm-hmm, absolutely. And, and, you know, and I think that all community banks um, are working towards that. I don't think that um, I don't necessarily know what that always looks like, but I think that all community banks um, um, should be working in it. And, I, and I, I believe that they all are working, but, but as far as First Bank Southwest, um, yeah, serving the underserved is definitely something that we look to do and, and we're trying to do. We're always looking for opportunities of how can we, um, how can we be a part? How can we invest? How can we be in front of? Um, how do we get out there to be able to make sure that we're serving, um, all areas of our community? Um, and, and it's, 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 it's no secret that, you know, banking as an industry is, is notorious and, and, and has been known, you know, to exclude areas, you know, redlining, redlining was a, was a yeah. real deal. I mean, now you know, there are federal incentives exactly. to make sure the banks don't do exactly. that. Exactly. So that's, that's a big deal. And so there, there, there's a, a period of time, um, you know, where communities did not have any of the resources. They did not, not have access to be able to do the things that other communities did. And so it's, it's a big deal. And, and, and federally, you know, there's, there's those, you know, regulations in place that are put there to help avoid those things. But, um, I think great banks, um, and banks like, like ours, uh, look for opportunities to be able to serve. Uh, regardless of what the regulation says, it's kind of like, "Hey, this is our community. This is what we need to be." Yeah, doing. like you don't need to be told by the exactly. government this is what you have to exactly. do. Exactly. This is this is what we need to be doing. How can we get in? How can we help? How can we serve? Do you feel like that that problem of um, you know minority populations being underserved is is it any different in Amarillo than it might be in other cities? And are, are we pretty standard in that regard, or do you are we further behind, further ahead? I would say, you know, it's, it's hard to speak, you know, for other communities, but I would, if I had to guess, if I had to, if I had, my suspicion is that we're probably a little bit behind. Okay. Um, even yeah. having really strong community even banks. Even having here. really strong community banks, I think that we're probably, probably somewhat behind. Um, just because, um, Amarillo itself is, you know, I think the percent, you know, I think for African Americans, I think it's 6% you know, um, of the, of the population where other communities, you know, especially when you start to get to the larger communities, that, um, penetration concentration of not just black, but, um, of other, of other, you know, races and cultures is, is a lot greater. Um, obviously more, you know, more pop, you know, more densely populated. Um, so I think that their concentration on those things are a little bit, a little bit stronger and we're doing, we're doing fine here. We're doing great here, I believe. But I think if I had to guess, we're probably somewhat behind and that's more so just because we're not nearly as, um, as densely populated in those different races, those different cultures as, as other cities might be. One thing that, that I've seen in a lot of the minority communities is, you know, not necessarily the traditional relationship with banks, you know, because a lot of people work with the bank because that's the bank that their parents were with, you know, and it, it just kind of passes along. But there has always been sort of a, 
you know, maybe a more casual um, relationship with business funding and, you know, banking and, and things like that. And I wonder if they're, if it's difficult to find those new customers, to, to reach out to the underserved communities because they don't have those relationships with a bank. And because of that, like there's an intimidation factor, there's, you know, the, just the idea that this is not a world that I know or understand. And it's hard to, to, to kind of throw all your money into a place that you don't trust. I mean, without having those trusting relationships. So mm-hmm. how do you how do you build that? Yeah, you know, and I don't. I mean, I think that I think that even in the minority communities, they may not have uh, in our communities. You know, the access or the resources, you know, or I say not resources, but maybe the access or, um, you know, the history, you mm-hmm. know, with banks. Um, but they still have, you know, the resources. Yeah, and, like and the still, resources are there. And, exactly. Just, they And they still need it and they still have resources to even, you know, invest in banks and put mm-hmm. money in these banks. And so um, I think that even in minority communities, it's not, you know, there's no, no, um, uh, there's not a, a drought or anything. There's no shortage of, of being able to find those, you know, customers. Um, or those types of you know those those you know types of folks to to uh, to be a part of the bank. It's really more about um, being able to just really be intentional about it. Mm-hmm. Is really what it is because they're gonna they're gonna bank. You know all you know uh, a lot of the a lot of the minorities even even though they may have a you know a, a distrust to a degree they're still gonna they're still gonna do banking. Um, they're still going to put their money in, in the banks. And so, um, um, it's not, there's no shortage of finding them. It's really more about just being able to say, Hey, we not only do, are we glad you're here, but we want you to be here. I mean, we're, we're looking for you to be here. Um, and it's really more about just being intentional about going okay. to get it. So there's no lack, um, of, 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 of folks wanting or needing to do business. It's just really more about making sure that, that everybody is aware that, Hey, we want, to help you do business, right. come see us, or or maybe we come see you. I want to switch gears a little bit um, and ask you about the Northside Toy Drive. I know that um, you're involved in, in kind of starting that up, um, and and it's kind of become an institution. Tell me a little bit about you know the origin story of that. Oh man, Northside Toy Drive is um, is is such a great great organization. So this is. Uh, our eighth year, I believe, eighth year, and so really, it started. Jason is just a dream. Um, the president of our of our organization, Elton Bradley, um, who who who's from here, um, you know, grew up on the north side, and just had a dream. Basically, say, hey, you know what? We want to make sure. I want to make sure that you know, you know, during Christmas time, that we provide an avenue to be able to. Um, you know, provide toys and gifts for those that are less fortunate, specifically in the north side. It's kind of been what the thought was. Um, and so he got a group of us together and we were kind of like minded and, you know, really interested in the community, uh, really interested in, in, in helping and doing those types of things. And so we got after it and started chasing it. And so it really started off really, really small. I think that first year we probably, you know, I think I want to say we helped like 25 or 50 families or something mm-hmm. with, with toys. Um, and it's kind of just, been wildfire ever since. Um, I think last year, um, last year we did 26, I think we had 2,600. That was when we stopped counting. We had wow. 2,600, uh, families that came through that we were, that we helped with toys last year. Just, um, and it's not really, you know, anything fancy that we're doing per se. I mean, we're asking people to give us toys. Uh, our big thing is, is we do a, a big fundraiser every year, one fundraiser basically every year, which is called the Black Tie Affair. Um, and so the Northside Toy Drives, you know, puts on this black tie affair where it's basically a formal party where we go and everybody gets dressed up in their in their formals and their tuxes. Um, and basically you bring a toy to get into the into the party. We have a good time. We eat and have a party and dance and do all those things. And then we take all those toys that we collect and we go and we give them away um, the next day or the following week, depending on the timing. I mean, we give them away to, to, to all those kids that, that, that need those. And so, you know, it was started for, you know, specifically the north side. We wanted to be able to provide and to do something for the area that we're from, where we grew up from. Mm-hmm. We wanted to do that. But the truth is, is that we 
helped and we've uh, we've provided um, toys for, for for folks all across Amarillo, and we're extremely proud of that and proud to do it. Um, and and are actively working, you know, on our plan for for this year, which may be, you know, maybe altered somewhat because of COVID. We're working through that and working through contingencies. But uh, the goal at the end of the day is still to be able to uh, service service our um, our community and those that are less fortunate than what we are. It it feels to me like the the story of how that happens is a really familiar Amarillo one, where you know some guys have an idea, they see a need, they're like, oh, let's. Let's try to do something, and then it becomes this huge thing because of the community support. Absolutely, you know, you've seen that with organizations like Storybridge or Snack Pack for Kids. I mean, just an individual here or a group thinks, "Oh, we should try to do this one thing," and then all of a sudden, you know, five years later, it's an enormous organization. It's working with thousands of kids. Um, I, I hear that story all the time, you <laughs> yeah. know, and. And, and it's not to minimize yours, but like that feels like a very Amarillo kind of thing. Oh, absolutely, and and that is Amarillo, and that I think is one of the things that is so great about Amarillo is um, the giving hearts of the of the of the community, the giving hearts of the residents in this community. Um, people in Amarillo will give and give and give um, and and do those things to try to help you know to try to help their neighbor um, and try to help you know the community better and that's one of the things that I love about the community is that um, just that giving heart you know it's it is it is very that what you say that that is a very common story um, with within Amarillo and we're we're extremely um, thankful that you know that 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 is that's the way that it is with the Northside Toy Drive as well because we wouldn't nearly be able to do the stuff that we do and the things that we've done uh, without the support of the community without the support of those you know that um, that really support the organization and chip in and help and give and do all those things and so Amarillo is is definitely I believe unique in that regard um, is that we 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 are givers and we're gonna we have great hearts for sure. So I I know that you're in a position um, of leadership at a bank. You're working with consumers, and it's happening, you know, as a black man during a summer that has been, you know, pretty difficult um, and has had a lot of, you know, controversy attached to it, from the protests to uh, in some places there have been riots, you know, in other places that it, there's just a lot of sensitivity happening now. And, and you've been outspoken in – you know, some of the things that you've said. And and I wonder, like, kind of how you are dealing with that as a professional, you know, a professional in an executive position. You know, has has that been kind of a struggle to navigate, you know, the, the past few months? It, it, it's somewhat of a struggle um, because um, I have to always be careful, you know, even in these comments, I represent Bowden Jones, Jr., um, even though I, I work for a bank and I'm part of a, di- a lot of different organizations. Yeah, but you're not here um, to like advocate for First Bank Southwest. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, no, I'm not advocating for First Bank Southwest or any other, any other organization that I may be a part of, but it's really more, um, my personal, my personal, you know, feelings and opinions. And so, um, I have to be really careful, you know, in that regard. And so it's a struggle there. Um, but at the same time, it's, it's a, it's a morality issue for me that, you know, I feel a certain way, you know, about certain things. And, and, and I feel that way just because of, of what my morals are. Um, and at, at the end of the day, you know, I would hope and I believe that, um, if push comes to shove, I'm always going to stand for right. Mm-hmm. That's, that's just, that's just me. It doesn't matter about any, anything else. I'm going to do my very level best to stand for what's right. Um, and so, so, so this summer has been definitely, um, a struggle. Um, it's been, it's been really hard to watch, um, because, you know, there, you know, there's a lot of different varying opinions. Um, there's a lot of, a lot of folks that think way differently, uh, than what I think, you know, I'm a black man. And so I have, I have my opinion, I have my thoughts and, um, and being in a, in a place in an area where, um, you know, there, there's a lot fewer, you know, uh, uh, minorities, you know, in this, in this city, in this community than, than many others. Um, it's, you know, it's, it's different. You're, you know, you're not going to find, there's no shortage of, of finding people that disagree yeah. <laughs> with, with the way I feel. Um, and that's okay. That's part of it. And I, I respect everybody's opinion. I respect, you know, people to feel the way that they feel. But, um, me personally, I, I, I've always looked like this. I've, gr- I've grown up like this. I mean, I, I, I know what it is. Like you're so, not, you're not surprised. Right. By I'm anything. not, and I'm not surprised by it. Um, but it is sometimes a struggle because, um, people that you 
know and love and trust and have relationships with that even don't look like me. But then to see and hear some of their feelings and some of their thoughts about all of the things that have happened, um, it that is really a, a big part of the struggle is like, man, I really thought I knew that person and I really I'm surprised that they that they feel the way that they feel. That is, I think, a bigger part of the struggle. And to a degree, Jason, it it, it is it almost for me not not necessarily makes me shy away, but it it does create a little bit of hesitation. It's like, uh, I know that I know them, but I don't know that we're probably on the same page. Yeah. And so maybe we just keep it, you know, if it doesn't come up, we're going to keep it cordial and keep it going. But, um, you know, there are some, I have great friends that, that are my counterparts that don't look like me that, um, have, have reached out to me and have called me. I mean, people, you know, a, t- a lot of people have called and I've had lunches and breakfasts and just wanting to talk, which I think has really been really good because that has never happened before. Hmm. Um, but now for whatever reason, you know, people are saying, Hey, let's, can we just, can we just have lunch? Um, and I think that there probably are a lot of great people that probably do feel really, really horrible about all the things that have happened. Um, but because they don't necessarily know how to express it, they don't necessarily know what to say, um, they just kind of tend not to say anything. And so then that's kind of a, you know, issue within itself because it's like, well, you're not saying anything. Like, why aren't you saying anything? Yeah. Well, but then it's like, well, but I don't really know what to say. I mean, I don't, I can't relate. I can't, I can't say that I have any experiences or that I live that I don't, but I don't know what to say. Yeah, it's wrong, but I don't really know what to say, how to say. And even if I do say something, um, do I end up alienating my own family? Mm-hmm. And so it's it's been a very um, strange dynamic, and it it has been a struggle to kind of navigate through. I mean, you know, and I just kind of pick and choose. You know, I'm I'm open to have the conversation at any point. If anybody were to ask me or to want to talk about it, I have no issues with that. But it's not necessarily something that I'm going to go out and poke the bear type of deal and and create. You know, because because what I know is. Um, it is a very good possibility that there are many people that um, that would disagree with the way I feel, and that's okay. Um, but I think that I think that everybody has to kind of come to their own, you know, center point or their own feeling in their own time. And so uh, my thought is, is that if you want to talk, let's talk and let's just figure out can we get to that middle ground? Because the truth is, is that most of us, I believe, are probably much more alike than we are different. Mm-hmm. Um, we just haven't had enough conversation to really figure that out. Do you feel equipped or comfortable being that person who is in sort of an educational, you know, place with a lot of your your colleagues or your friends? You know, because you you work at an executive level in a financial institution, which you know probably is predominantly white. Um, and so, yeah, maybe you do have people wanting to have lunch and wanting to understand, which is is great. But then it, it it requires a lot of you to have to be the person to educate all the white people, you know. You know? <laughs> yeah. I mean is is that something that is Yeah, uh, you know is hard to kind of work through? Well, and I think it, it's not so much hard for me to work through because really I can I'm I'm not all things black, right? Right. I mean I you're, know you're not speaking as exactly, a monolithic ex- voice. Ex- for, ex- exactly. And so I can only speak from my experiences from what I know. And so I feel like that is is part of the solution is let me just tell you about me. Let me tell you where I come from. Let me tell you what, you know, how we think and, you know, and how we look at this. That's that's really all that I can do. And I can educate people from that perspective um, and then point them, you know, in a direction of where they can find additional education on their own if they so choose. Um, but the, for me, it's more about really trying to, you know, get to a place where can we get to a common ground? Mm-hmm. That's the thing I'm looking for is can we get to a common ground? I don't have to agree with you on every single thing. Um, in fact, I don't know that I would even want to agree with you on every single thing, um, but I would want to be able to get to a common ground. Now, there are some relationships that have to just be severed completely because if you're a bigot, if you're if you're a racist and you and that's just what it is, then that's what it is. And OK, you, that's you. But I don't I don't associate, you know, with. Um, those type of individuals. But if, if we're willing to have a conversation, even though we may disagree on everything, as long as we're willing to have a conversation, let's, let's go back and forth and let me help, help me understand why you feel the way you feel. 
I'll help you understand why I feel the way I feel. And what I found out is eventually what happens is we get to a place in the middle where, okay, well, we pretty much feel the same way, but this is, this is the only thing that is kind of, you know, this is why, why we think about it differently or, mm-hmm. you know, the semantics and what's being said or whatever. And so, um, I, I think that's kind of the biggest approach. So I, I don't have much of a burden per se. I say I don't. I don't feel like I have much of a burden to be the one to educate, you know, all the white people or whatever. But I, I'm, I'm excited and and willing to be here if people want to talk about it. Hmm. Let's talk about it. And 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 I think that if we can sit down and have a simple, honest conversation, a truthful conversation, um, I think that we both walk away um, with 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 something you know more than maybe that we didn't have before. And that has happened with with me even during this time. That has happened. I've I've had conversations with, um, you know, multiple folks, you know, you know, police officers and and all sorts of folks that say, hey, let's let's have coffee, let's talk, and 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 those are people you know that I respect and they respect me. And I think what has happened in most cases, we've walked away still respecting each other, um, you know, respecting our differences, but recognizing why we feel the way we feel. You've you've lived here in this community, um, you know, since you were a kid, and like you said, as a, a member of a minority population that's you know certainly less than ten percent of, of Amarillo. You know, looking back to the Amarillo that you found when you got here and where we are today, do you feel like we've made progress? I feel like we have made progress. Um, you know, but I feel like right now we are in a time that is a really a really critical time. Mm-hmm. Um, where we could potentially take steps backwards if we don't stand up, not just, you know, I I mean, when I say we, I mean everybody. If we don't stand up for what's right, if we don't stand up for um, what's true, um, I feel like we could potentially take steps back. But I I think that we've made progress. I think we've made progress in this country, in this community. um, And I think we've made progress in the the nation as well. Um, I think there's still a long way for us to go. Um, One thing I do believe is that the events that have happened over the past, um, over this summer and, you know, specifically with, with, with George Floyd and, um, you know, Breonna Taylor and Ahmaud Arbery, um, I think have kind of heightened it a little bit. And what I, what it has uncovered is, is that, that maybe we have come a long way, uh, but it has also uncovered that uh, a lot has still stayed the same too. Mm-hmm. And so, because there, there are some folks that, um, may not be, uh, you know, they may not be overt, you know, in the way they feel, they may not be overt in discrimination and prejudices and racism and different things like that, but it's still there. And some of the events that have happened over this past um, summer have heightened that to a degree that now you like, oh, man, I didn't I did not know. OK, now you kind of you kind of see it a little bit more or more openly. So I think we have come a long way, but I think that we still have a ways to go for sure. As I mentioned earlier, this episode of Hey Amarillo Podcast is sponsored by Wick Realty, which sponsors the show through Patreon. Patreon provides ongoing monthly crowdfunding for creative projects like this one. Some of it comes through business sponsorships, but it also allows individuals to support the show at a number of different tiers, starting at $4 a month. If you're a fan of this show and you want to make sure it continues every week, I would love your support. You can learn more at patreon.com slash heyamarillo. That's Patreon with an E. Okay, I'm back with Bowden Jones. Bowden, this is the part of the show I call Eight Straight. I'm going to ask you eight straight questions, and as my guest, you get to answer those in as much detail as you want to. A lot of these are questions I've asked other guests, and mm-hmm. so I'm eager to hear your perspective. Um, the first one is relatively new. It's one I've been asking the last few weeks. But what's one thing the last few months, whether it's related to the pandemic or related to the protests, um, what has it revealed to you about Amarillo? It's revealed a couple of things about Amarillo, you know, with, with, with the pandemic, with the protests. You know, one thing that is revealed is, is that, you know, or confirmed is that in many cases, the heart of Amarillo is really, really big um, for, for a number of folks within this community that are helping and giving and doing all these things to help folks during the pandemic. Um, you know, trying to help our neighbors, you know, all those different things. And it makes you really proud, you know, about, you know, uh, to be a part of Amarillo from that perspective, from the protest perspective, um, you know, the social, you know, the social issues that we have going on as a nation, it's revealed that we haven't come as far as we think we have. Um, we, even though we've made progress and we moved, we still have some, some way to go. That's, um, 
potentially has been a suspicion maybe i don't know um but i think i think during this time of protest and this time of social unrest um i feel like it has probably solidified and confirmed that okay we still we still got work we still have work to do okay. um and how are we going to do that what are we going to do how do you describe Amarillo to people outside the area? You've lived in a lot of different places. Oh, so. man, yeah. yeah. I, Amarillo, usually when I tell people I'm from Amarillo um, or if they say they've been to Amarillo, you know, one of the things I say is, is that it, it's probably um, a place that some of the nicest people in the world. In the world, You know, and I've even had people when, you know, being out of outside of Amarillo say, oh, yeah, I've been to Amarillo. And I had never been to a place where people were so friendly, you know, and, and that is sometimes how I explain Amarillo. So, oh, yeah, it's like one of the friendliest places, you know, in, in the world, people are going to say hi to you and they're going to wave at you even if they don't know you, which is mm-hmm. to a lot of people from the, from the city or larger, Different. you know, they're like, that is so weird. Like, what, like, I don't know you. Like, why are you? Um, so, so I, I kind of describe Amarillo as a place where, you know, you'll probably find some of the friendliest people you'll ever meet. What does this area have too much of? Wind. Um, <laughs> right now the wind isn't blowing, but, yes, but, yeah. but, and that's great. And so we'll definitely take that. But, um, I think it has, it has too much wind for sure. Um, I think on a, on a more serious, on a serious note, I, I think it probably has, um, too much unwillingness to, to see the other side. I, okay. I think we're kind of set in, you know, I, I believe and think the way that I think, and that's what it is. And so there's not really this willingness to even, to even, um, look to the other side, pick, pick an issue, whatever. It doesn't matter. Pick it. Um, people are going to be, if that's what it is, that's what, it, that's what, that's what yeah. it is. And there's not much room to change anybody's mind on that. And I haven't been shy that, that one of the reasons for doing this podcast is to let people into their neighbor's lives and hear things that they may not hear because we surround ourselves with people who believe the same thing, who say mm-hmm. the same thing, who have the same perspective. And it's good to get out of that perspective and hear from somebody new. Yeah. Yeah. And I think I, I think I don't know if that's a, a tendency that's just an Amarillo thing or just human tendency. We we get in our own bubbles and and we stay there. Yeah, it is, it, and I, it probably is more of a of a human tendency, probably. But for some reason, it seems like it's more magnified, and maybe that's just because we're here and we live here. But it seems magnified here, okay, um, in 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 our area. So. What does Amarillo not have enough of? What does Amarillo not have enough of? Amarillo does not have enough diversity, um, I believe. Even though, and I say that diversity, we have um, a lot of different cultures and a lot of different, you know, races. But I, I still think that um, we lack acceptance of that diversity. Maybe I'll say it that way. We, we, I think we need, we don't have enough acceptance of people being different, of different cultures, different backgrounds, different points of view, different, you know, opinions. We don't, we don't have enough appreciation, enough acceptance that you may be different than I am, mm-hmm. which is not necessarily a bad thing. I think that that is, is, is honestly probably a great thing. And we just have to learn how to accept it and appreciate, um, the difference. And once we can do that, I feel like, um, it, it takes us, um, to a whole nother level okay. for sure. I think it makes us stronger as a community. Absolutely. Right? Absolutely. What's your favorite neighborhood in Amarillo? Oh, man. Um, <laughs> I'm from the Heights. I mean, I, I grew up high, in the Heights. My, is that my, where your family my, moved when you moved oh, here? Yeah, oh, yeah. My grandmother still lives in, in, right. in the Heights. A lot of my family is still from North Heights. And so it is probably one of the most, if not the most, underserved communities in our in our uh areas in our community mm-hmm. um but it's still home for me um i don't live in the heights now but if, if if you ask me where home was north heights would be would be home and that that is by far i think the best community for me in my opinion and and which is part of the reason why i work the way that i work and and do the things that i do to try to help that that area of, of our community be be better and to improve and so um, you know, we'll, we'll keep working it until, until it actually, you know, reflects that, you yeah. know, but there's, you know, you, you, I mean, there, there are people, I know people I'm, I'm from there. And so there's great people, um, loyal people and friendly and, and loving people in, in the Heights that, um, would give you the shirt off their back. Um, and even, even in an undeserved, an underserved area that it's, it's full of a uh, legacy, full of history, full of great, yeah. great people. I was going to say, an underserved area, but also one of the most historic neighborhoods Absolutely. in Amarillo. And that's one of the things I've learned the past couple of years is just there's so many stories there that maybe the broader part of the city doesn't even know, yeah. you know, yeah. and that, that needs to be told. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so, so I would, I would definitely stick with that for sure. Okay. What's your favorite local restaurant? 
Oh man, that's that's hard. Well, I say that's hard. So so I have to give you two. So in the North Heights, there's a, a restaurant called um, North Heights Discount and Cafe. Yeah. Um, actually, that's my brother's spot, and so um, it that's a great great spot. Um, he's doing great great work over there, um, and definitely serving the community in a way that it hadn't been served before. And so extremely proud of that. So I would definitely plug him in there. Outside of that, Delvin's is would be my would be my go to for sure. Okay. Yeah. No argument for me on, yeah. on either of those. <laughs> What's your favorite local coffee shop? Local would be Palace. Um, actually, I'm, yeah, 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 I'm, I'm, I'm looking I'm, at I'm a Palace cup Palace right now. And I generally drink coffee from home. I mean, I, my wife makes makes a mean cup of coffee, and so um, I, I generally would drink that. But if I'm if I'm out and about or whatever, Palace is kind of my go to. Okay. And when was the last time you went to Paladuro Canyon? I guess it had to be right before. All of the shutdown, all of the pandemic stuff. So okay. I guess it was like right before spring break or around right. in that time. Uh, my wife and so my daughter. It was a daughter, perfect time of year. Oh, it was great. There. It was it was beautiful. And actually, I remember saying like, "Man, we need to come. We need to come here more often than what we do." Um, but my wife and my daughter, uh, we just decided one day we were like, "Hey, let's just go check it out." And so we went and did a couple of trails and just kind of hanging out a little bit. It was it was absolutely wonderful. Um, and you, you, you almost forget sometimes just by living here in Amarillo that there's that, that we have that gym of Paladura Canyon right there. Um, and so you often kind of, t- we, I think sometimes we probably take that for granted and forget yeah. about it, but it was, it was great. But I'm, I'm glad to say that it's been, you know, it's just been just a few months since I've been there. So, and that concludes the eight straight questions about, and I like to end by asking my guests to endorse something. So what's one thing that you would want listeners to know about or to experience? You know, I think, Jason, one thing that I would probably endorse, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm involved in so many different things and I wouldn't want to necessarily give any one thing more clout, you know, than the other per se. Um, but I think one thing, you know, this may be too philosophical, but I think one thing that I would want listeners to endorse more of is empathy. Hmm. Um, I think empathy is something that we could all use a little bit more of. When we endorse that empathy and we use empathy to kind of lead our lives a little bit, um, I think that we'll find out um, that life is life is great now, but I think that we will find out that life could be so much better when we're able to really empathize with somebody. It doesn't necessarily mean that we have to agree with them completely or, you know, uh, have the, the, the same thought or whatever. But if we can if we could just empathize. Say, okay, I can see perhaps how, why you feel the way you do. I, at least I understand now why you say what you say or why you feel the way. I think if we can approach life from that perspective, from that angle, I think that, um, we open up the doors to be able to create so much more change, so much more quickly. And I think that, that we'll see that our community is going to be even greater than what it already is. All right. That's a good word. Bowden Jones guys. Jr., thanks for being on the podcast. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. I enjoyed it. And that concludes the episode. Thanks to Bowden for the interview. Thanks to Angelina Marie for editing the show every week. And thanks to Wick Realty for sponsoring Hey Amarillo, which helps me pay Angelina for her audio expertise. Supporters of Hey Amarillo through Patreon include executive producers Barbara and Jim Witten, Josh Wood, Patrick Burns, Wilson Lemieux, Jason Burr, Wes Reeves, Katie Linger, Neil Nossiman, Jess Heredia, Jennifer Callahan, Ryan Pennington, and Joshua Rafe. This has been episode 160. My name is Jason Boyette, and I'll see you next week.